breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Deere to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's town. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's episode 100, and it's great to have you with us. This week, we talk rising fertilizer prices with David Widmar of Agricultural Economic Insights, and we talk about what to do when your neighbor's negligence leads to damage on your property with Washburn University Law Professor Roger McOwen. Jesse Allen breaks down a wild week in the markets on this week's Market Talk Update, and the hot rod farmer Ray Bohax has another installment of Bushels and Scents. Finally, we hear the music of Illinois farm boy and U.S. Marine turned rising country music star Adam Warner. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, now is the time when many farmers are assessing their fertilizer costs, and if they haven't already locked in their prices, what they're finding may give them sticker shock. So today I wanted to bring in David Widmar, co-founder, along with Brent Gloy of Agricultural Economic Insights, who opined on this very topic this week, and I wanted to bring him in to help us make sense of it all. David, welcome back to Fast Line Fast Track. Great to join you, Brent. Always happy to join the show. Episode 100. You were there on episode two. You're back on 100. So glad to have you back for sure. I should have brought a birthday cake. It's great. <laughs> uh, great to be back. And it's great to see 100 episodes. Good work uh, for you and the rest of the uh, Fast Line team. Well, I appreciate that. And we'll, we'll see if we can knock out another uh, another 100 here. And I know you were part of four or five of those. And that, and that means a lot to us. And I, I really value your insights. And that's why I wanted to bring you on today here. You had a great blog post released on Monday using fertilizer prices in Illinois as a basis for discussion. So I guess my first question is, why Illinois? Well, um, that's where the data are available for. So that's sort of what we're limited to. So the USDA has a a great um, system of collecting farm-level bids for fertilizer across the state of Illinois. It's also uh, farm fuel prices, and they report that on an every-other-week basis. And so we have a very nice time series that goes back to the – around 2010, that we can see those price movements on a really uh, granular level. And so I think, uh, you know, not all your listeners are from Illinois, but the takeaway here is that probably very similar trends to what they're seeing in their local, the local markets. And so, for example, you know, you might not have a $600 per ton anhydrous bid this week, but you're going to see this big trend and this big upward shift that we've seen over the last six months. So, Keep in mind, you know, the kind of the forest rather than the trees here, but uh, this is a very good data set to capture these trends that we've seen on play and all the sticker shock that a lot of headlines have been capturing over the last few months. So you take a look at this AMS data across the board, all fertilizer prices are higher in 2021, but the range is pretty broad. First of all, I'll throw out the $64,000 question. We'll kind of work backward a bit. Why does it vary so much by the location and by the product? Well, you know, uh, fertilizers, they each have their own supply chain. So even when you get into nitrogen, you have 
anhydrous ammonia versus urea versus liquid nitrogen 28 percent here in this data set they all have their they're all similar but they're all very different when it comes down to the supply and demand elements of these um, these products when we look at the trends more broadly we see that uh, phosphorus for example has had a really big run-up it doesn't really matter how you measure that from a year ago or from six months ago um, you know, DAP, for example, is up 50%, a really big price change. Now, we start looking at the uh, the nitrogen. So, anhydrous ammonia, for example, um, it's up 17% year over year or about, you know, year over year, but it's up 37% from last fall. And so, that's one of the important takeaways here is, you know, producers are typically thinking about year versus year when they bought it last year versus when they buy it this year. Um, but there was a big drop in fertilizer prices last summer and last fall, and we've seen a increase a sharp increase from those lows and that's adding to that sticker shock so you note that prices for the most part are well below the highs observed during the 2011 to 2014 time period and hydrous nearly 600 per ton now compared with 400 a ton just a few months ago but well below that 800 plus per ton uh, during that 11 through 14 time period yeah, yeah, that's uh, important to really step back and look at the big picture of things. There's a lot of ways of looking at the big picture. You laid out one. I'll add, there is one exception to the data, and it's DAP. This phosphorus situation, um, it has gone from the lows, sort of 10-year lows, and it's getting really close. So it's about 650 bucks a ton out of the Illinois. The high here was around $700 a ton. So a lot of the headlines that focused on this nitrogen story but it's really the dap and the phosphorus that's really caused a lot of this sticker shock it's if i were to write a book right about the fertilizer price changes the thickest chapter would be on phosphorus and dap that's where a lot of the activity has been and the majority of the the price changes that producers are going to see in their budgets is coming from that but yes the story for nitrogen for uh, potash is that we're off historic lows quite a bit, but we're well below those highs that we saw, you know, seven or eight years ago. One thing you caution producers to do is to watch relative prices of alternative fertilizers. How come? You know, uh, this it's easy to get caught up in the headlines that everything's higher, but the relationship of how they move is very different. So everything's higher. But um, when we look at the data, for example, urea prices are historically high relative to anhydrous ammonia. And so if a producer has the opportunity to apply anhydrous versus urea, there's some cost savings that could be a potential there. Now, on the other hand, liquid 28% is actually at a discount to the historic price that we would expect, the price relationship we expect between the 28% and then hydrous ammonia. So there might be an opportunity there as well. So, you know, there's some of this, you know, each person has to consider their operations, abilities or needs, but also the growing season and also their suppliers. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, but it's important to step beyond those sort of the headlines of higher fertilizer prices and really drill down into the management opportunities to, to make some adjustments or to pivot in light of the specific economic outlook that we're looking at. Uh, if you've got your crystal ball in front of you there, what, what, what do you see in uh, short to midterm? Is this something you think is going to, to continue or is this uh, may, maybe just the, uh, uh, the spike here before things start to, to back off a bit? Well, Brent, we didn't write about this in, in, in the AEI article, but we, have a, we had some writings behind the paywall to think about this a little bit. 
And one of the relationships we really keep an eye on is our crude oil prices. And researchers have um, done this and we update their work and they say there's a nine month lag between crude oil prices and where and, and fertilizer prices. So the point here is today's fertilizer prices is really reflecting crude oil prices from nine months ago, right? And if you look at what crude oil has done over the last year, last you know, last spring they traded negative, right? And then they've had this slow uptick. So the models today, uh, if we're gonna try to forecast prices are using $40 a barrel crude. Now, if you look at today's prices and where we might be using in nine months, it's closer to $60 a barrel. And so there's a lot that can happen. But we're entering this higher energy price. So it's the same for crude versus natural gas and, and all things. The big takeaway here is we have moved beyond those post-COVID lows. Everything hit a low right around the, the COVID situation or after the COVID shock. And we've moved to, to pre-COVID levels or even above those pre-COVID levels. We talked about farm diesel in an article we also wrote recently and those are also higher than we saw a year ago and so there is a very big shift here in those energy markets we're watching this and keeping in mind a lot can happen and a lot of other factors will come into play here but 60 dollars 65 dollars per barrel crude is going to start to have an impact on the economy broadly speaking when you bring this up with crude and that's interesting because you you guys have done a great podcast series that we referenced a couple months ago when we had you on the show uh, taking a look at how some of the events of the 70s shaped what happened in the 80s. Uh, is there any kind of commonality here with what you're seeing with these input prices and uh, what we saw in that time frame that, that kind of led to uh, some of the challenges of the 1980s? Yeah, it's a great question. And we started writing that we started the 1980s project, Escaping 1980s podcast. It's seven episodes. Uh, we released it all at the end of 2020, so it's still very relevant and and uh, fun to listen to. And we started this answering the question, are we repeating the 1980s? And one of the things that we learned is the 70s had a huge role in how the 80s came to be. And one of the elements of the 70s were these huge supply shocks that we saw. Uh, one of them was um, the embargoes from OPEC on oil. So OPEC had a lot of power in the 70s, and there were several crude oil shocks. There were these gas wars and big lines of people getting in line for their, their oil and dealing with, I think we talked about this, and my memory might be a little sketchy here. I think gasoline prices went from like $2, or excuse me, crude oil went from $2 a barrel in the first part of the 70s to like $9 a barrel later in the, the decade. That doesn't seem like a big movement, right? $7 a barrel. We, we moved that quite regularly in a short period of time. Look at it relatively, right? It was not a double. It wasn't a triple. It was a three to four X change in oil prices. And that is, I think, what has a lot of people thinking, what is going on here? So we have anhydrous ammonia going from 400 six months ago to 600. That's a big change in prices in a very short period of time. And I think people are starting to think about this a little bit and wondering what's on the landscape. Are we in a sort of a short run adjustment here or is there a longer play, a longer story here about prices and supply shocks and what might unfold in the coming weeks and months and years ahead? Well, I tell you what, bottom line, if I'm a producer right now trying to figure out, uh, you know, if I have any short term needs or longer term needs, what, what should I do? Well, I think the important thing to do is, you know, read broadly, uh, 
do some good research, ask questions from your, your network of folks to keep in mind. Um, and hopefully, of course, one of the things that we wrote about in this week's article is it's it's interesting. You could have a producer and one and one neighbor who has the lowest fertilizer cost in 10 years if they had locked their fertilizer in back in the fall. Uh, we had an example of 180, 77 fertilizer blends. That's so 180 units of nitrogen, 70 phosphorus, 70 potassium. It had been well below $100 an acre. Now, if you priced it today, it's going to be closer to $130 an acre. That's the highest in five or six years of data. And so we have to recognize this sharp upturn, but we have to be very cautious in how we proceed to the market. So call around, get your best bids, figure out what works well for your operation. And second of all, um, it might be an opportunity to, if you can lock in fertilizer prices or lock in your needs, think about the other side of the market, right? What can you do with respect to commodity prices to maybe offset that? Because we also have really strong commodity prices. And so when We've wrote other articles on this. Nitrogen prices are actually at a fairly low historic relationship relative to corn prices. And so um, so for context, back when we had corn uh, during the 2011, 2012, 2013 era, those fertilizer prices would have been like 100 dollars an acre. And we're down around 125, 130 today. So we have to realize that uh, even though it's up a lot, it it has been higher in the past uh, by quite a bit. So we always have to keep in mind the context. When we talk about those commodity prices, we're going to be back with uh, David hopefully toward the end of June now as we're just getting into April, and we'll kind of recap where we have been the first half of uh, 2021 and kind of take a look at where we see things headed for the second half and it promises to be very interesting in the meantime aei has a great weekly insights email that really puts the business of agriculture into perspective david if folks are interested in signing up for that and getting a lot of great insights like they have here on fertilizer how can they go about doing that so our website's aei.ag. As you mentioned, we have a free weekly article. You can sign up to get that sent directly to your email. This week's article about fertilizer prices is there. There's seven or eight charts that can help you dive into the data and the trends. Of course, we mentioned earlier, Escaping 1980. It's our seven-part our seven episode podcast series looking at the 1980s farm financial crisis. That's all free and it's available to listeners uh, to access anywhere they listen to podcasts. Well, I hope you go and listen to that. It's really great stuff. And these guys just put out some tremendous insights that I hope you will follow because they really help you understand the business side of agriculture. And David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. I always am fascinated by our conversations and look forward to having you back here in the near future. Thanks so much, Brent. Again, that was David Widmar with West Lafayette, Indiana-based Agricultural Economic Insights. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, sometimes farmers and ranchers run into situations in which landowners experience damage to trees or crops as a result of someone else's conduct, either uh, knowingly or unknowingly. So what happens when that damage occurs? Today, I wanted to bring in Roger McOwen, the Kansas Farm Bureau Professor of Agricultural Law and Taxation, 
at the Washburn University School of Law in Kansas. And Roger, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you, Brent. Good to be with you today. All right. So I want to dive right in here. So if I'm a farmer or rancher and I'm surveying my land and I'm starting to see damage that I suspect might be coming from aerial spray drift or excessive and wrongful water damage from the neighbor's property, how should I approach the situation to A, make sure I'm not jumping to conclusions and B, if I'm certain a neighbor's negligence might be to blame, handle this in a manner that doesn't escalate the situation? Yeah, and those are uh, good points initially, Brent, in terms of uh, we want to try to work things out with our neighbors in a rural community first. We don't want to have problems with neighbors. And so if I know that I'm going to be do- doing something on my property, if I'm going to have an aerial crop duster come out, or for example, I'm in the Flint Hills of Kansas, I'm going to do pasture burning in the spring. I want to let my neighbors know that. Uh, I want to let them know what I'm going to be doing, when I'm going to be doing it, uh, that we're going to take all precautions that we possibly can to contain uh the activity to our own premises. And then uh, if something does happen, then we're going to make sure that we've got uh, adequate people around to contain it the best that we can. So we want, I want to start out with uh, making sure that we're maintaining good relationships with neighbors. That's absolutely critical in a rural community. We, we always rub shoulders with each, with each other. We go to church with each other. Uh, we've got to keep those relationships good. So that's a good starting point. Then if damage does occur to somebody else's trees, for instance, uh, then we've got that's where we have to pay attention to the legal rules that might apply. When you get into those legal rules uh, in matters of negligence, uh, when talking about tort claims, certain tests must be met, uh, you know, once uh, uh, once we determine that. So if you could just kind of run through what what folks need to know if they suspect that there is negligence on, on the part of a neighbor. Well, um, the the vast majority of, of tort cases, civil liability cases, are negligence cases, and that means that that invokes kind of a, a four part. Uh, links in a chain, if you will, type analysis. Uh, I have a duty to act a certain way. I breached that duty. The breach of the duty caused damages. Okay, so to be able to prove that somebody was negligent and owes me money for damage they caused me, I have to, as the injured party, I have to prove all four of those elements. elements. And uh, the duty would be, I have a duty if I'm doing uh, aerial crop dusting or having it done on my property or I'm, I'm pasture burning or I've got excess water drainage, I'm doing some type of drainage work on my farm and then it floods out a neighbor's trees. Um, I have to have violated uh, the reasonable, pers- reasonably prudent person standard. You know, how would a reasonably prudent farmer in a similar situation have acted? And that's based on the facts. And all all these negligence cases are going to be based on the facts of the particular situation. Well, if my behavior didn't live up to that reasonable person standard, the reasonable farmer standard. Uh, uh, then I have breached my duty. So that's the second, you got two elements um, that are satisfied right there. Then you have to show causation that what I actually did caused you damages. When we get to trees, uh, it's not too difficult for the first three elements to be satisfied. The really tricky part is on how do you calculate damages to trees, whether it be a windbreak, whether it's just been ornamental trees that have been planted uh, for aesthetic value, uh, whether it's an orchard, you know, maybe we, it's a pecan orchard or in California, it's an almond, or as they say, it, an almond orchard uh, in California. Um, is it a vineyard? 
the you know what is it is it a is it a an income producing tree or vine or is it uh, indirectly producing income because it's conserving soil and protecting buildings as a windbreak or is it just aesthetic value how do we put a, a number on that to measure damages and that's the really tricky part in these tree damage cases well and once you get down to the brass tacks and you start computing those damages you're not just talking about the real cost of the value of trees or crops or land you're also talking about uh, remediation or restoration so that uh, you can make the situation whole yeah um some people think that well maybe i can just hire an arborist and they can come out and put a a, a value on what it would cost me to replace the trees that were damaged uh and maybe i've got uh, 50 60 70 year old mature trees that provide a lot of shade for cattle uh and how do i replace those uh, well what would it cost to buy uh, comparable trees and then they'll have to grow out so they try to put a factor on that the courts almost unanimously say, no, we can't do that. That's not the way uh, that we calculate value. There was a, a recent case, uh, it was a recent Kansas case, and they tried that approach and the court said, no, to, to do it that way uh, would basically be an amount three times the current value of your farm just to replace the 156 trees that were damaged. That's not the appropriate approach. So the basic principle that courts apply is what are the amount of damages that can be recovered that puts the damaged party as close to the place they were in before the damage occurred. And they entertain all types of evidence with respect to that. Uh, but that's really the goal. We need to restore the, the person to where they were before the damage occurred, not Im improve them, not uh, cut them short, but try to get that uh, uh, sweet spot to put them back to where they were before the damage occurred. And sometimes we can't do that because you can't replace, uh, you know, the, the old established mature trees that are beautiful. They're going to take a lot of years to reestablish that. So sometimes we can't get all the way there. And that's where uh, compensation comes in to, to make the injured party whole. And we should mention this is an action to recover injuries to real estate. So it has to be filed in the county where the damage to property has occurred. Yeah, most courts will take that view um, that this is a damage to real estate. And so we're going to file a case in the, the local county district court or whatever it happens to be called in that particular jurisdiction. It'll be in that county where that real estate is located, where we start with the litigation. Well, Roger, you have a great blog that covers many legal and taxation issues pertaining to agriculture. If folks want to get plugged in and follow your work, how can they go about doing that? Um, my website is just washburnlaw.com. Uh, edu slash Walter, W-A-L-T-R. That stands for Washburn Agricultural Law and Tax Report. Or they could just do a uh, search engine search for Washburn Walter, W-A-L-T-R, no E in there, and they'll find the website. And then on the homepage of the website, down the left-hand side, uh, they'll find the link for the Agricultural Law and Taxation blog. And then there's also a button there where they can sign up for an email alert <clears throat> uh, and get an email notification every time I add something uh, to the blog. And I, I do that. I write a technical article. They're roughly 1,500 to 2,000 words a piece full of citations. So an attorney can find them useful, a CPA, an accountant, if I'm writing on something tax-related, as well as a, a landowner, a farmer, a rancher, an agribusiness professional. Uh, so I try to write so that it's beneficial to all of the audiences. And um, <clears throat> about 130 times a year, there's a post that goes up. So it's, it's a lot of material that's there. And uh, of course, I teach these topics nationwide, coast to coast. And um, my, my 
continuing education calendar is also on my website and folks can see uh, where I'm going to be at talking about these uh, this issue as well as a lot of other issues, including uh, tax and estate planning and, and business planning and everything basically that affects a farmer or rancher from a legal or a tax standpoint, I cover it. Well, this is all really great stuff here. And, and Roger, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And we hope you'll come back again to uh, bre break down some more matters of the law and taxation for us. Well, thank you, Brent. It's been my pleasure. World Ag Expo Online is not just one week. We'll be here all year long with new information, seminars, links to exhibitors, and more. Mark your calendar to make sure you visit the show website every month. Want to get monthly reminders of updated news and information? Go to worldagexpo.org to sign up for the email newsletter. More than 600 online exhibitors coming from 48 states and 65 countries. Attendance is free for the online show throughout 2021. Just go to worldagexpo.org. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, a couple much-anticipated USDA reports prompted a flurry of activity in the markets this week, and Jesse Allen is here to break it all down for us in this week's Market Talk segment. Jesse. Well, thank you very much, Brent, and what a week it was, especially on Wednesday, the release of the highly anticipated USDA quarterly grain stocks at Prospective Plantings report, and did USDA provide some surprises? Grain stocks came in pretty much right where we expected it was those planting intentions numbers that came in well below expectations. Arlen Suderman of Stone X provided his initial thoughts after the report. Well, my initial reaction is the trade will question USDA survey numbers once again, but they are the numbers that will be traded until USDA updates its acreage survey in June. And with the corn acres came in roughly 2 million acres below trade expectations, as did soybeans. So there's a missing 4 million acres there from corn and soybean production. Trade was not anticipating, meaning that next year's balance sheets will be in the rationing mode for corn and for soybeans. On the other hand, wheat acres came in above expectations by nearly 1.5 million acres. But yet wheat is following corn and soybeans higher because certainly we're going to be feeding more wheat, especially soft red winter wheat and hard red winter wheat. Hard red spring wheat came in pretty close to expectations, and it's taken the brunt of it on the spreads this morning after the USDA report. And Suderman provided some advice for producers as they're looking at their marketing plans with these elevated prices after the volatile Wednesday reports. This re-emboldens the bulls in the market and once again encourages them to buy the brakes and puts a lot more emphasis on the type of spring and summer weather patterns we're going to have in the Midwest. Now, black swan events that pull the rug out from this market are still possible, so act with caution. But overall, this is a market that's going to be focused on taking prices higher to buy more acres between now and the end of the planting season and to try to ration demand. Meantime, Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics joined me on Wednesday afternoon's episode of Market Talk after the limit higher closes on Wednesday's trade and offered this advice for producers. I think the biggest thing to realize about today's report is that it was still supply driven. You know, you've you and I've talked about this cost push inflation. We've seen nothing but cost push inflation from where I sit, Jesse, and that goes to the Biden infrastructure bill that's going to be paid for by a corporate tax hike. Uh, supposedly, um, these are all cost produce, uh, cost push inflation, supply weather inflation, in other words, is what we're seeing in terms of these prices going higher. 
I wrote last night to clients and subscribers that the price break that we saw going into the report was actually helping to ease my fears that we were going to ration too much demand and, and that the break in prices was actually going to be good for long-term demand. Look at what cattle weights have done. They've dropped by 20 some pounds on a dressed basis in the last six weeks. We are rationing demand. There's no question about it. And look at Australia. Australia cannot sell their wine to China. They can't sell their iron ore to China, but I believe their wheat exports are up three or 400% from last year at this time because they got a good crop and the Chinese are feeding wheat instead of corn and, and to a lesser degree, some other feed grains like sorghum. So I think it's supply driven. That means we still want to sell rallies especially if we get planted safely because and quickly if we get planted safely meaning no freeze and we get planted quickly meaning no water that delays our planting like 2009 these acreage numbers are going to grow we have to assume that to be good effective risk managers so don't look at the demand side of the equation because you're going to hear a lot of people talk about the idea that with these acreage numbers, you're going to be closer to a 1 billion bushel carryover in corn and 100 million bushel carryover in beans. That may be for the next 60 days, but the market's function is to not allow those tight of stocks to come in and, and mess with us and do that uh, in terms of bring us down to that low of a carryover level. So make hay while the sun's shining. This is a supply weather driven rally. Get hedges in place and simply defend those hedges in case there's weather. It's the same old thing that we've talked about, only it's a different day. Again, that's comments from Mike Zuzel of Global Commodity Analytics and Arlen Suderman of StoneX. And again, USDA shocked the trade world on Wednesday with planting intentions that were lower than expected, especially for corn at 91.4 million acres, soybean acres at just 87.6 million acres. Both estimates were roughly 2 million acres below the average trade guess. With this Market Talk update for Fastline Fast Track in Nashville, I'm Jesse Allen reporting. And you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. Again, markettalkag.com. And you can find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network, and you can hear him host Your Ag Today, weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio, Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the hot rod farmer, Rainbow Hacks. Don't forget, you can check out all of his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from Farm Machinery Digest Radio, heard exclusively on Sirius XM Channel 147 Rural Radio. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. Since the 1980s, most vehicles did not employ a heater control valve, but instead a blend air system. A series of ducts with doors are what controls the direction of both heated and cooled air into the passenger compartment. If the air, either heated or cooled, is not exiting from the proper duct, then there is a door that is stuck or a vacuum hose under the dashboard is either ruptured or disconnected. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Ray Bohacks has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio, Channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern, so I hope you'll go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house where our special guest this week, Adam Warner, is a rapper 
rapidly rising star in country music who honorably served his country as a U.S. Marine before making his way to Nashville. He has some new music out that we can't wait to tell you about in a bit. Adam, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Honored to be here. He is uh, speaking to us tonight from Illinois, where he is hanging out doing uh, some writing this week, huh? Yeah, me and some of the boys are out here uh, at my grandpa's farm, trying trying to get out of the city so there's no distractions, and then uh, just sit out here and write for for about five days. So so far, any uh, any hits cranking out there? I think so. We might have a couple of them on our hands. I'm hoping anyway. We got some good ones cooking. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for see what the rest of the week brings out here. One of my buddies, he said he was on your show. Uh, do you remember uh, Josh Gallagher? Yeah, I love Josh. Yeah, Josh is out here with me, so he wanted me to tell you hi. I don't know how you can get any work done with him around. It's tough. It's tough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hi to Josh, man. I can't wait to have him back on. Uh, We had him down at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop here uh, early on in the show, but we we haven't had a chance to do a live stream with him, man. I'd love to get him back on here one of these days and and do that, or hopefully we can get back in person here. Uh, We're getting a little bit stir-crazy cooped up in the basement here. We're ready ready to hit the road again. I heard that. Yeah, same here. And uh, you guys are out of the bright lights of Nashville this week, but uh, a big week in Nashville. You're the WSM Artist uh, of the Week, the Spotlight Artist of the Week uh, on uh, WSM in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of the Grand Ole Opry. That's a big deal. Very, man. Yeah, and that's, again, a huge honor to be a part of that. And, uh, yeah, kind of crazy to hear – to hear my music on the radio, you know, coming from a WSM like that. So uh, it, that's been, it's been something to talk about for sure. Yeah. It's been awesome. Within walking distance of that uh, legendary circle at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. It's a uh, pretty cool, man. I, I've stepped in there once and uh, I, I black, it was like the quickest three sec or three minutes of my life. It was just uh yeah, it's very nostalgic place. Felt like three seconds. I bet, huh? absolutely yeah it seemed like it was just over <laughs> that's awesome well hopefully it'd be the first of many many here but i tell you what before we get going tonight i want to share a song uh with, with folks to kind of kick things off uh yeah. tell me about uh, that's how you know you're living yeah man so uh, i wrote this song uh with my friend jeff anderson and uh, kind of had the chorus built and uh went over to his house and uh he was like oh yeah i can vibe with this and he we ended up writing that thing and like two hours but uh it's just a feel good you know honky tonk style song and uh i think the funnest part about this song is when we shot the music video um we drank that bar out of beer and they had to close for the rest of the day so that's not an easy task to do in nashville (laughs) no it's certainly not that's quite a story to tell too yeah yeah i'm proud of that (laughs) well i tell you what let's kick it off with this one here we go
Son, that's country music right there. Ah, thank you, man. Yeah, it's a lot of fun shooting that one. <laughs> I, I love it. You, you, you guys like you and Gallagher give me hope for the future of country music. That's what it should sound like. I appreciate that. I, I did my job then. Man, to go back and tell your story, we really got to go back to Lawrenceville, Illinois, population 4,348, right along the Embry River there in southeastern Illinois, not too far from the Indiana border, about 12 miles from yep. the Wabash River in Vincennes, Indiana, not too far from my stomping grounds over there in Jasper, Indiana. Yep. A lot of history there, going back to the French settlers and the Revolutionary War, George Rogers Clark. Yeah, He's got a huge, rich musical heritage, as we talked about on the show with our friend Dennis Stromat before, but uh, Tell me about growing up there in Lawrenceville and uh, uh, and tell me about being raised on your family's farm. No, man, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. You know, it's um, it's one of those things as when I was younger, um, I always, you know, thought I'd leave this place and I was so quick to leave. And then uh, uh, once I did, you know, kind of set in like, man, that that little four thousand, you know, person town was uh, you just can't beat it. There's just like, in my opinion, like, you know. It's like I, I still like driving through town. I've been gone for, you know, almost 20 years at this point. But it's like uh, I still see the same cars drive by and people giving the two-finger dashboard wave. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things you can't really do that anywhere else. Like th those that small-town vibe is just very uh, – it's shaped who I am. You know what I mean? It's, it's, wouldn't give that up. So tell me a bit about your farm operation over there in Lawrenceville. Yeah, man. So uh, both sides of my family are farmers, dad, dad's side and mom's side. Um, and I pretty much split my time between both of them. You know, we we farmed about uh, 5,000 acres back in the day. Um, then, of course, when I when I got a little older and joined the military, um, some of that grand, grand, ground got sold. And uh, it's a lot smaller now. I think, um, you know, my dad's like right around a thousand now. But um yeah, I, I kind of split my time between um, working for my dad, working for my grandpa. Uh, they never really put me in charge of anything uh, too complicated. I just run a disc a lot and uh, bush hog <laughs> and uh, drove equipment from field to field. But um, yeah, it's, those were the days, man, like memories that, that uh, I'll never forget. When you wrote about that in uh, the song Four Square Miles, which appears on your latest album, which we'll talk about in, in a bit, but uh, that that uh, played a, a huge role in who you are. Yeah, very much so. You know, and like my whole my whole idea behind that song is is uh, it's kind of like a bring you back to your roots type of place. You know, um, uh, you can be from anywhere; it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a little small town, but um that song is supposed to bring you back to like your own four square miles whatever that may be you know so well before we go any further why don't you take a listen to this and think about your own acreage this is four square miles on fast line fast track An open cab John Deere and a hand-me-down Ford A hundred head of Chester Whites, four kids and his wife Granddaddy was a simple man and he loved a simple life
65 on my way to L.A. Thought I left that life behind, gonna make it big someday. Stars out there ain't half as bright as they make them out to be. Might be closer to the sunset, but I ain't nowhere near as sweet as those four square miles of home. Where the corn's knee high by the 4th of July and the Ambrose flows. And everything I know lies in four square such a special video there and uh again dedicated to your grandfather uh, fred riot who you lost last june tell me about yeah. your relationship with him and, and what he taught you along the way man we were best buds uh definitely uh you know my biggest fan for sure and uh man he just always inspired me to do better you know and, and always work harder it was uh he he, he was definitely a hard working man i mean he, he was on a on a tractor all the way up until he couldn't get on one anymore you know 80 85 years old still still cutting beans and picking corn and uh and that's my biggest inspiration right there is just uh i hope i i hope i'm 85 someday and still doing what i love no doubt who shot that video uh that was my friend uh michael uh of course you asked me that now i can't <laughs> put me on the spot but uh, he's about that work too it's their cousins but uh I think it was, I think his credits are there in that video, but yeah, he did an amazing job. Man. He did a phenomenal job and did, did a great job of capturing that, that whole lifestyle and, and, and everything that that uh, song personifies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't have been more happy with that one. That's good stuff, man. So you leave Lawrenceville, head off to the Marine Corps. What inspired yeah. you to join the Marines and what was that whole experience like for you? Yeah, man, you know, um, I never much cared for school, uh, to be honest. And I love the social aspect of school. Uh, that was, that was one of my favorite parts, yeah. but, um, and playing sports, but, uh, you know, I was just at a point in my life where, uh, I just, I felt kind of, kind of like I was spinning my wheels. I knew I really didn't, uh, at the time I, I really didn't want to, uh, sit on a tractor every single day and, um, work the farm. 
Um, I knew music was an idea at the time too, but more than anything, like one of my best friends had joined the Marine Corps and uh, he had just come back from boot camp. And like when I saw just like how it had shaped him, like and turned him into a completely different man. I mean, he left a boy and came back a man really. And, uh, you know, I was just like, I don't have anything else going on. Might as well try. (laughs) But no, it was, you know, much like music. uh, Honestly, it was a calling, you know, um, again, like I always grew up, I loved all sports. Uh, Not really, wasn't into the book, you know, book book side of school at the time. And, um, you know, the Marine Corps was just one of those things. Like if you're going to, if you know, to join the military for me, I was like, I'm not, I want to join the hardest thing there is. And, uh, and to me, that was the Marine Corps. So um, that's, that's how I ended up there. What was that whole experience like for you? You know, I don't regret that at all. I met yeah. some of the best men and women uh, that our nation has to offer. And uh, and I still am, am close friends with a lot of them today. Um, it was just uh, timing really was the only reason I ended up getting out. Uh, I'd just come back from overseas and, um, you know, I, I got a job opportunity. It was right at the same time I could have re-enlisted. And uh, at the time I I picked the civilian way, which I don't regret because if I wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't be writing and singing either. So everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So you get out of the Marine Corps, you decide to head to Nashville. Yep. What what year was that? And and how did you begin making connections once you got there? Yeah. So uh, originally I moved to Murfreesboro first and that was in 2010 and that was for college. So I used my GI Bill and I went to college from 2010 to 2014. Um, and I started, you know, I always had like written songs, but never really taking it as like, I'm, I can do this as a career, you know? And, um, about 2014, by the time I was graduating, I had a handful of songs and, uh, a friend of mine at the time who now is kind of like my manager. Um, he's, he'd worked alongside the music industry for 25 years, you know, and more than anything, I just wanted an outside opinion. Like I thought the songs were okay. Um, and I just wanted to see what his thoughts were. So I played him a few of those songs and uh, he was like, yeah, you need to take this a little bit more serious. These are good. This is good stuff. So I was like, all right. So I kind of, you know, started just playing a bunch of writers rounds in town, introducing myself to other people. And then before you know it, you kind of have this circle of guys. And um, I'm just, I feel very thankful to have people like that on my team. You know, it's just, uh, we write together, we play together, we try to go on the road together and um, it works well. What did you study in school? You know, I started out in music uh, and then realized I didn't need a degree in it to enjoy it. So I switched over and I went into IT. uh, I knew I wasn't going to have a Ph.D. attached to my last name anytime soon. But I I thought, you know what, I can I can do some hands on like uh, computer repair type stuff. So uh, and I felt like that was a job that uh, would be an easy one to land coming out of college. So. Uh, but like many people, I haven't been able to put it to use yet, but I'm all right with that. <laughs> well, you're doing all right now, so I wouldn't worry about that too much. No. So you grew up uh, listening to Waylon and Willie and Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard and, and Hank Jr. to name a few. In fact, your very first single, Rowdy as Randall, was a tribute to old rock and Randall Hank, better known as Hank Williams Jr. What inspired you to write that song? You know, uh, that's funny how all that come about. Um, we were driving back from uh, Orlando, Florida. Uh, we, I, we had been there on a run and, um, it was just me and my wife in the truck and, uh, we had took, it was early in the morning. We left Florida, uh, like four o'clock, three 30 in the morning. And of course, you know, like any good co-pilot, my wife was asleep about 20 <laughs> of that drive. And, 
and uh, I had to have the radio on, kind of like keep me occupied because it's you know I was tired from last night, and um, I was listening to all my rowdy friends. And uh, there's a part in that song when he says "Rock and Randall Hank." Well, he said that, and my wife had woke. She had like woke up just at that time and kind of looked over at me, and she's like, "Hey!" And I thought she wanted to take over driving, but she was like, "Hey, turn that off. I'm trying to sleep." <laughs> I was like, "All right, I'll just sit here in silence." But that "Rock and Randall Hank" kind of like kept spinning in my mind, so I just started putting all these lines down like in my head. And then uh, the next day I came to Nashville, I called one of my friends up and I was like, hey, man, I want to go to the studio and make a demo of something that I, I kind of wrote on the way back. And it just kind of evolved from there. Inspiration hits in the craziest places sometimes, doesn't right. it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Another guy who had an influence on your career was Trace Adkins. And yeah. you actually were fortunate enough to have him featured on your song Semper Fi that won the 2019 Country Music Song of the Year honors at the Independent Music Awards in New York City. Uh, how did that whole project come together? Man, you know, um, again, like God's been very good to me since I've since I've, you know, went down this path. And uh, just uh, I don't really believe in happenstance. People get put in your life at the right time, just, you know, for the right reasons. And um i'd have an opportunity to open for trace and uh i kind of followed him around for a few shows um in 2018 and uh, it kind of started out as a joke um because i was telling him how much i love that song and then uh, about the third show i was sitting on his bus and kind of cutting up with him a little bit and i was like man you know what I, you should let me record that song and he kind of like stopped for a second and looked over at me and and perfect trace form just goes all right <laughs> I literally like how the how the whole like that was it that's the only thing he ever said about it so i was like all right well i started recording it and uh just like ah, i would love it if he would sing the second verse of this song and uh, reached out to him again and asked him if he'd be interested in doing it and he was like all right <laughs> <laughs> that's all it takes huh yeah guy got yeah he's he's a great guy i mean he's done a lot for my career and he's been um He's been somebody, uh, again, just kind of priceless to be able to learn from. I mean, he's he's a legend. I mean, he'll he'll be in the Country Music Hall of Fame one day, no question. And uh, he he know. I mean, he's got it down. He's he's one of the best there is, in my opinion. He's a great en entertainer as well. Absolutely, yeah. So tell me about the video for this song. Yeah, uh, you want to talk about full circle? So um, the very when I very first joined the Marine Corps, one of the first Marines I met. Uh, is actually the Marine I'm hugging at the end of this video. Um, he was, uh, at the time, the company series uh, drill instructor for my company, which is the platoon we shot at Paris Island. And uh, going into that, I had no idea. You know, like, uh, we show up on base, and I'm kind of looking at the itinerary, and we were supposed to meet with a gunnery sergeant, Rublicado, and I was like, how many Rublicados are there in the Marine Corps? Surely not many, so... Uh, sure enough, it was him and like, man, put both of us just had giant smiles on our face. I was like, golly, man, this is crazy. We hadn't seen each other for, you know, like 12 years at the time. So it was, it was awesome. It was great to be back on that depot. I've always wondered what kind of logistics uh, go into and what, what kind of hoops do you have to jump through to be able to, to shoot anything like that on a, on a military installation? Cause I imagine it's not, yeah. not that easy. It, it wasn't easy. And, you know, I got to give credit, uh, where credit is due. My manager, Bill, uh, van diver he he did so much of that heavy lifting um and of course being a former marine or being and former active duty marine um you know that didn't hurt anything but uh, i mean it had to go through the pentagon in order for us to get clearance to do that so it was definitely a process 
that he stayed on top of pretty much the entire way. And um, yeah, went through the Pentagon, got approved, and of course had to go, you know, to to the depot and get approved by uh, the commanding officers there. And uh, and I think the biggest thing too was the the reason it got approved, in my opinion, is the type of song that it is. You know, like um, I told Trace from the get go, like uh, I know him and um, when they wrote that song, I was just like, you you couldn't have done it any better. Yeah. And I, I still I think still to this day uh, they play it. Uh, on Sundays there for graduation when platoons graduate. So yeah. it's that it was a, that, yeah, that's probably one of my highest honors right there to be a part of that. So once you were there, you got to make it good, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and it is, I'm going to share this with everybody here. This is Semper Fi. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, we will fight our country's battles in the air on land and see. Well, I sat in that long line of barber chairs And the sergeant asked me some would you like to keep your hair? I said, yes, sir, as I heard those clippers buzz and honk. And the sergeant said, well, hold out your hands, because here it comes. Semper Fi, do or die. And so gong ho to go. Devil dogs and jarheads in Paris Island in July simplify. I sleep in my bed instead of a foxhole. I've never heard my boss tell me lock and load. No bullet holes in the side of my SUV. Because the kid next door just shipped out overseas for you and me. Simplify. Do or die. So come hold a go and pay the price.
Semper Fi. Mm, beautiful and emotional song, man. Man, thank you. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good one. Good stuff, and thank you for your service to our country. That's awesome. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you what, you were really cooking. Uh, 2019 also released a 12-song CD project, The Songs That Made Me, Adam Warner, which you recorded yep. at the world-famous Wild Horse Saloon there in Nashville. I'm going to go down the list here quickly because I love every one of these selections here. Starting out with Lonesome, Henri and Mean here by Waylon. What does that song mean to you? Oh, man, I just, you know, Waylon's one of them guys, like, I didn't, you know, I grew up on 90s country, so, like, as a kid, I didn't really know about Waylon until I got older or know those, you know, country music legends. And it's just like, you know, those guys had just such a persona. Like, they really were, like, you know, like real cowboys, you know what I mean? So it's like, for me, that's how that song is. Like, anytime I hear that song, it just gets me fired up. I'm just like, yeah. oh. Are you like me? It's harder to come back around to some of the new stuff after listening to that stuff because it is so good and so timeless. It is. And that's just it. It's timeless. Like it, yeah. that's still going to be good 50 years from today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Papa loves mama. Yeah. So again, Garth Brooks, nineties country. Uh, I'll, it's kind of funny. Cause the guy that wrote that song, uh, I cut a couple of his songs on, the, uh, some more songs of his on that album, um, that I just released. But, uh, yeah, I love me some Garth, man. You want to talk about an entertainer? That guy gets it done. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, so don't lose that thought here. But Born to Boogie. Born to Boogie, yeah. That's my man Randall right there. Uh, that's another – yeah, it's just full of energy. It's, I love that song. It's great. And here's another one that kind of breaks away from that just a little bit here. Living on Tulsa time, Don Williams. And the gentle giant. I love me some Don Williams. I mean, he's, he's another one that just – there's so many that's why it's so hard for me to to narrow down like you know these legends that are country music you know heroes of some sort of you know it's just there's just so many good ones i mean that time period was just full of just talented talented singers songwriters it's amazing time long-haired country boy love me charlie man i mean yeah. that was one of the first records i ever that I ever got my mom uh, gave me the the charlie daniels i think it was the greatest hits album that had all of them on there and uh that was one of my first introductions to to that uh, time period of music another interesting one about the time you hit nashville real good man tim mcgraw you know that again and that's kind of like that song uh the live version of that song was one of the ways like uh i got introduced to david allen co too you know mm -hmm. like i always knew that song and uh, like don't call me you know she don't have to call me darling like i'd heard that song a million times but you know, you know, I don't know who the singer is at the time. So it's uh sorry about that. This phone got knocked off the hook. Uh, but yeah, that's one of those. I love that song. It's great. And looking back. That was one of my grandpa's favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Uh when I started singing, he always told me, uh, he would he'd he'd call me every now and then and he was like, hey, You need you need to take a shot at that Lukenbach. He goes, I think you'd do good on that one right there. He's like, That's a good song. So <laughs> he wasn't wrong. I, and then you put in a double shot of Merle in there for good measure. Absolutely. Rambling fever and sit here and drink. Yeah. You know, and all these guys, like, you know, when I, I listen to their music now, it's just like, man, I wish I had a time machine so I could have caught one of their shows. You uh, know, yeah. it's been great. And, and then you threw in an interesting one here for me. Little David Lee Murphy, dust on the bottle. David Lee, man. Absolutely. You know, like I said, I mean, I give tribute to all, all those, you know, uh, the legends of country music that, that, that were here first and kind of paved the way. But for me, like, you know, David Lee, Brooks and Dunn, uh, 
you know, Joe Diffie, like all that, like that. Mm -hmm. I was listening to that all the time. And uh, yeah, I, I tried to give a shot. I tried to do my best. <laughs> and you couldn't do a, uh, a tribute to, to all the greatest there without throwing in a little Johnny Cash. Folks. You know it, man. Man in Black. Yeah. I, especially because of his vocal range, too. I mean, we're kind of we kind of sit in that same uh, that same pocket. And uh, yeah, again, he's just like that guy, man. They just had those personas about him where you're just like, wow, it's. Yeah, yeah you can you can uh, it's. You know you're a legend if you can just see like the outline of somebody's shadow and be like, "That's Johnny Cash." <laughs> yeah, no question, no question. And then you rounded out with old Rock and Randall Hank, all my rowdy friends. Rowdy friends, yeah, I love, that's another one. Uh, I used to start. I used to kick my shows off with that song. I, it's full of energy. Now I tell you what, this is the part of the show where we need to talk about another project here, and and this one's a little tougher for me, being a diehard Indianapolis Colts fan. Uh, but just to show my objectivity. <laughs> you know, we need to talk about Welcome to the South. And look, I love Nashville. It's my favorite city, but uh, a Colts fan, that's, that's tough to square. I understand that. I, but uh, I, and, uh, Welcome to the South is a song that you wrote and the Tennessee Titans picked up and used as a song that they play whenever the uh, the visiting team, including the Colts, come onto the field. Tell me about how you were selected for this. Yeah, so uh, it's my manager, you know, uh, I actually had a ride the morning. Uh, uh, my manager called me and I was driving into town to uh, meet up with some guys and He's like, hey, I heard um, through the grapevine, the Titans are kind of looking for a new song to guide their fan experience. And I was like, all right. And he's like, are you writing today? And I was like, yeah, I'm headed in now. So he was like, Mo, keep that in the back of your mind when you go into this ride. So I was like, okay. So, you know, uh, again, it's kind of one of those things. I've played sports my whole life, and every one of my football coaches, you know, before we stepped out on that field, they'd say, you know, no, what comes in, no one comes into our house. No one's going to push us around. And I was just like, well, house and south rhyme pretty good. So let's say what about you know, that's kind of how that kicked off. But uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was a crazy feeling because uh, I think you know we I want to say we might have been playing the Colts on Monday Night Football when I actually got to debut that song, and I was on the field and I introduced everybody coming in. There's like you know sixty thousand people screaming, and I was that was a wild experience being. And let me tell you, like. Those guys look big from the stands. Wait till you're standing next to one of them. <laughs> not, not just big, but fast. I don't think people understand the uh, the collisions that happen on the field because the TV does not do it justice. It doesn't. I mean, those guys are just giants. It's crazy. You're like getting hit by an S10 truck. It's a different deal, man. What position did you play when you played football? Man, I was a running back and an outside linebacker back in the day. There you go. Stuck your nose in there. Tried to. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, I'm going to share this clip, man, because I think this is really cool. This is Welcome to the South. Cool. Of the dirt and the mud. 
And in all fairness, I'm going to throw this out here. October 16th, 2017, the Titans ended a 11-game skid with a 36-22 to victory over the Colts on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Uh, behind the power of that song, man. So I I'll guess there's, the there's something to it there. <laughs> yeah, I'll take credit for that win. Well, I tell you what, man, you were building a lot of momentum like so many other artists, and then COVID hit. How have you made the most of this time over the past year? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been challenging, you know, just uh, not for entertainment industry, everybody, obviously. But uh, for me, you know, um, I, I kind of sat back, took a seat, and I, I was trying to find, like, a space like what you do with podcasting and, and make a stage to where uh, I can bring my friends on, expose their talent, but also – you know, keep, uh, try to keep my momentum going. So I came up with an idea called beer 30 and, um, you know, we tried to run it every Monday at six 30. Now, um, we're, uh, we're, we're currently filming. So the, the time slots aren't going to be the same, but, um, that's kind of how I tried to keep myself busy, you know, uh, and stay relevant was, uh, write songs with, you know, continue to write songs and then bring my friends who are songwriters, artists, uh, onto that show expose their talents to my fans and hopefully their fans become my fans. And, you know, when the, all this stuff gets finished and open back up, we can get back out there and, and play some concerts for folks. What's it like being on the other side of the microphone for you? You know, it's, uh, it's not that it started out kind of tough, obviously, but uh, I transitioned pretty quick. Um, and I think a lot of that is just one being in front of people, uh, live, like I've played shows in front of five people and I've been in front of 5,000. Um, it's a lot easier to uh, perform for me behind the camera because I don't really have to think about it. I just kind of BS my way through it and hopefully it ends up all right. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a different uh, a different way of putting on a show. You know, it's, um, you're, you don't have the crowd there to feed off of. So you got to kind of make your own energy. And you do a great job with just organic conversation and just get it, getting folks to open up here. I want to share a clip here of a show that you did around the holidays here with uh, Williams Honor. And uh, I tell you what, you want to talk about some uh, uh, really great live streamers right now. They have live streams that they put on the Polestar chart just about every week. They're uh, amazing. Just absolutely uh, blowing up there. Yeah, they're great. They're fantastic. You know, I've, I've I met them. They're some of the first people I met when uh, I started doing this, and um, it's it's been great to call them friends. I, I can always bounce. I can bounce anything off of uh, Gordon and Reagan, and uh, they'll shoot me straight. So I tell you what, let me let me share this little clip so you guys can get a sense for it. Y'all, I'll see you on the couch with my good friends, Williams Honor. They're thirty. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Beer 30, where I have my good friends all the way from New Jersey, Williams Honor. Yes. Hello, hello. How are we doing? The Willie Ho Show is in the house. Yes, Willie Ho, eating ho-hos. Eating ho-hos. We have uh, gone through a box of ho-hos and uh, what are the, the soft, chewy uh, chips ahoy so far, so yeah. off to a good start. Did we demand Did we demand the ho-hos? It was in the rider. The Willie Ho Show? It was, was it? It was in the rider. I that was a safe thing in the rider. Sure. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Gordon said immediately, he said, if there are no ho-hos on set, I will... Can't not perform. Right. That's, that's the deal, man. So there we, here we are. So um, I've known you guys for a while now. Yeah. Um, some of the first people I've actually had the honor of writing with and being with when I came here right. to Nashville. A natural, man. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, man, if the if the music thing doesn't work out, uh, it, it, you've got a sideline there. <laughs> Appreciate it. Heck yeah. You don't have to be back in the field pulling the disc anytime soon, I don't believe, unless you want to. Don't want to. Man, well, in in the midst of all that, in addition to creating that show, uh, also putting out some music in late February, you released a full-length album, Big Storm, uh, which has three previously released tracks, including Semper Fi. Also has three songs penned by the late great songwriter Kim Williams. And for those who aren't familiar with that name, I guarantee you, you're definitely familiar with his songs. He co-wrote Three Wooden Crosses for Randy Travis, Papa Love Mama, and Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up for Garth, Joe Diffie's If the Devil Danced in Empty Pockets, uh, and Reba's uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. I mean, for somebody to come up with that many big hits, man, that, that's just incredible when you think about it. Yeah, Kim Kim uh, truly was uh, just a brilliant, brilliant songwriter. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that we lost him, uh, you know, too, way too early. But, uh, you know, the imprint that he put on country music, again, kind of going back to what you said about music being timeless. I mean, uh, you know, even though Kim's gone, he'll, he'll, he lives for, he'll live forever. You know, he, he wrote some of the best songs, in my opinion, that still to this day, like there's just songs that can't touch those songs. Yeah. How'd you come about having three of his songs uh, on your project? So um, I met Kim's widow. Uh, her name's Phyllis Williams. I call her uh, Miss Phil, of course. But uh, Miss Phil and I, I, we ran into each other um, at a uh, at the Edge Salon in Brentwood. And uh, I told her I had a show that night and I had no idea who she was. And um, I was like, yeah, you should come out to our show. I guess I was actually at the Wild Horse. So uh, she came and listened to our show there. And, uh, you know, everybody in Nashville is a songwriter, of course. And uh -huh. Like, well, my husband, uh, you know, he was a songwriter. And I think he might have a couple of songs he'd be interested in. So I not know who you're talking to. So I was just like, yeah, absolutely. Let's, you know, let's do dinner sometime. And then she told me who her husband was. And I was like, <laughs> like the Kim Williams. And then uh, I started listening to songs and that was probably one of the hardest things to figure out is, I mean, I'm talking thousands of songs that this guy's written that still haven't seen the light of day. And it's just like, they keep getting better and better as you listen to them. So he was a brilliant man. So if you're an aspiring artist, go hang out at the edge salon and, right. uh, and you see what happens. There. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Tell me about the variety of tracks on this album. Yeah. So again, it's kind of like, um, I don't like to keep a theme uh, as far as going into a project just because I feel like you kind of limit yourself. I think each song, it's okay to have uh, to, for each song to be kind of like its individual thing. And um, that's kind of my mindset with, uh, with all, with everything I do moving forward too is, you know, I love that Southern rock feel, the, the Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchett, uh, Charlie Daniels type of, type of lead stuff going into uh, guitar wise, lead guitar stuff going into it. And then just the uh, traditional country aspect of it. And I kind of intertwine that together for my own sound. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely on the rocker side. There's some slow songs on there, but um, it's, it's, it's right in that Southern rock vein with, you know, with a little bit of country mixed in. You also have a song on there called Nicotine, which was co-written by Allie Cutter, who's out there doing big things on her own. I know she was on Beer 30, also uh, doing some big things. And uh, Sonny Lemaire of Exile fame is a co-writer yeah. on that one. Yeah, I uh, I heard that song. Uh, they were they were in a group called Brassfield Alley, and uh, I heard uh, Bradley and Chadley start singing that one night. And I walked up to them. I said, "Hey, did you guys record that song yet?" And they're like, "No, we haven't recorded it." That's, 
And then Bradley said, my mom hates that song. She won't let me record it. And I said, well, I'll record it. <laughs> That's how that one come about. But yeah, I love that. They're so talented too. Allie can just, oh my gosh. She's perfect when she sings. She makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say, well, you got a new single now poised to release this Friday. Tell us about this one. Yeah, and this is another one of those rocker songs. You know, um, it's called Can't Hide Country. And uh, my friend uh, Logan Wall uh, wrote and produced it. And the co-writers on that song, uh, I mean, just knocked it out of the park. It's just, uh, again, it's just a very high energy, feel good, get the summer started uh you know upbeat song and uh, i i can't wait to put it out it got me out of my comfort zone a little bit as far as um vocal range but i think it's great to push yourself and that was definitely one of what this song was it pushed me and uh and uh, i'm very proud of the way it turned out so things are starting to open up a little bit any, any idea what's on the horizon for you for the rest of this year you know uh, i'm taking it as it comes uh we are getting some shows we just came back from uh, jackson wyoming we were out there for a week playing at the uh, legendary million million dollar cowboy bar uh, followed hank jr's footsteps he was out there a couple weeks before yeah. me um so just looking for stuff like that you know uh, anything that is coming up and uh we're pretty much jumping on it at this point so um I know I have a, a show in August. I think it's the, actually in Decatur, Illinois, at the yeah, Farm Progress. And Farm I, Progress. I, I wanted to make sure we brought that one up. Uh, uh, that, that's always a great time there uh, when we get down to Decatur. We should be there for that show as well. So, uh, I'll be in the, for a uh, Heaps and Jeeps benefit concert in uh, June 19th, I believe. So that'll be fun too. So I got a couple coming up. Excellent. Well, I know I ask this of uh, about everybody that's on here. What what's on your bucket list, man? Any special projects that that you hope to be able to do, or when all is said and done with this career, uh, what, what would you like to be able to cross off that list and and say that you've accomplished? Well, I've had a couple so far, which is uh, you know I got to play I got to play one of my songs at the Grand Ole Opry. Um, definitely a big check in the box there. Uh, I would love to say I've, I've done the rhyming mother church you know got it that would be huge and then uh you know do a song with one of my heroes trace atkins I, he's one of my heroes uh, put a check in the box there and uh you know of course if uh if i could do a duet uh, with dolly parton that would be pretty sweet so dolly if you're watching <laughs> yeah oh she does you know just uh, constantly and, and i have uh, somebody about every other week saying the same thing so maybe if i could figure out how to get her to uh set up a, a week of studio time uh well, right. we can have a lot of fun just uh, wheel them in one after another and just knock them out yeah absolutely that'd be great but yeah man it's just uh it's just the music industry is ever-changing so i i try to do the same thing and just hopefully uh can stay relevant and keep on going and uh just continue to grow and um as long as people want to listen to my music i'm gonna keep making it so yeah so what do you like to do uh, away from music do you get a chance to get away from music much Oh yeah, man. I think that's important too. So you gotta be able to clear the head and the uh, best way for me to do that is on the water. So I do a lot of bass fishing. Nice. I'm kind of a, ba I'm addicted to bass fishing, I guess would be the best way to say it. <laughs> I do a lot of that. Gotcha. Most of it in the Nashville area or elsewhere. Yeah, you know, it just depends. I travel. Sometimes I get a wild hair and I'll drive down to Chickamauga, uh, go, to, go, go down to Florida, try to catch some Florida strain bass. So if I got time and I got a few days off and, the wife does won't kill me. I, I get out of the house and I go do it. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Well, I tell you what, before we get out of here tonight, if, if folks want to follow your career, your tour schedule, 
and uh, just keep tabs on everything you got going download your music where can they go to do all that stuff yeah absolutely so one of my favorite um apps to get on is bands and town and uh, for show purposes bands and town is hands down the best way because you put your email in there and then anytime i'm coming close to you based off your location you'll get an email from us saying hey we'll be in your area on this date um so that's a great way to stay as far as like upcoming shows um social medias are are all the same it's adam warner music and um website as well uh is the same as that and just always look for the verified accounts because uh social media is a weird place and i'll never beg for money from you or anything like that so i'll always look for that blue check mark and uh and those are the only accounts that i have so it seems like that's becoming more and more of a problem isn't it it is man it's crazy and you know these uh these guys and gals who do that you know they prey on people's emotions so it's uh I get messages every single day. Hey, is this you? Hey, do you need this? And I'm just like, nah, I'll never, I'll never tell you to send me $500 for this or that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, boy, I hear those stories literally every single day and I see it more and more. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think that bears mentioning with this audience too, because we get a lot of people coming in here that, uh, that, that might not realize that. And uh, yeah, there's, there's nobody, uh, out there that's established or even a starving artist that's going to ask you for well maybe maybe a couple of them but, but most <laughs> of, most of them aren't going to do that they, they, they've got a little more dignity than that so if they're trying to hit you up through social media yeah that's not it yeah don't be doing that well i tell you what adam man i, I don't want to take up any more of your time here but i sure do appreciate you taking the time to join us here on fast line fast track and sharing this music with us and we wish you the best of luck with the release this friday and and with everything you've got coming up here in, in 2021 and beyond and man we'd love to have you back anytime you want to showcase new music just come hang out yeah absolutely anytime man i've really enjoyed it and, and thank you thank you for making time for me to come on so uh I, it goes both ways i appreciate that it means yeah, a lot man and we'll and we'll figure out a way to uh to, to hook up and do something live here hopefully we can do that at decatur later on this year yeah, that if, if y'all happen to be out that way uh, for the farm progress show that's going to be september 1st and 2nd and uh it's always a great time one of the largest outdoor farm shows in the country there's a lot to see and do there and it's always great to, to go by that pavilion and hear, hear a little bit of great country music. And we want to thank you so much for being a part of episode 100. If you haven't had a chance to check out some of our back catalog content, I invite you to do that. We've had a lot of great musical guests as well as a lot of great agricultural insights. And we want to thank our musical sponsor who's been there since the beginning, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's springtime on Lower Broadway and the perfect time to take in some tunes at one of the nearby establishments like Robert's Western World, then drop by to buy some new tunes at the Ernest Tubb Record Record shop. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise, and if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you, so stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fastline Fast Track. Well, have you had the opportunity to check out the all-new Fastline.com yet? If you're in the market for any type of farm equipment or heavy construction equipment, head on over to Fastline.com and check out the equipment locator with the revamped price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's Fastline.com. And while you're on the website, make sure you sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. It's still being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.